Alrighty, folks, we're back. Welcome in to the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. Episode 7 here of the show. Today is Friday, December 8th, 2022, and always remember we drop new episodes every Friday. You can find us on Instagram at student section CFB, or you can always look for us online at thestudentsection.net. And always remember, folks, subscribe to the show, download the show. We are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite platforms. So with that being said, welcome into a new episode of the Student Section Podcast. We have a lot to talk about this week. We have Heisman finalist, the four playoff teams being announced, Deion Sanders being hired at Colorado, and other major coaching hires. And we're going to talk about our favorite bowl game matchups as well. So if you're into all that, stay tuned. We've got a big show planned for this week. Enjoy, folks. Let's get right into it. All right. So our four college football playoff teams were selected last Sunday. And no real surprises here. We've got Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State. Ohio State playing Georgia in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in Atlanta, and we're going to get into that one first, and we'll talk about the Michigan-TCU game later on in the show. And the first thing you have to talk to with this game, or talk about with this game, is you can argue that the one seed got the most difficult matchup in the college football playoff, because I can speak for a lot of Michigan fans when I say they didn't want to play Ohio State again, and I I think TCU fans wouldn't have liked to play the Buckeyes as well. So did Georgia potentially get handed the toughest matchup out of all the playoff teams? That's entirely possible. And the other thing which I think is the most amusing part of this game is the complete 180 done by the Ohio State fan base and the energy surrounding that program. I mean... Just a week ago after that loss to Michigan, the program was in the dumpster, fire Ryan Day, the program needs a new savior, this team's going nowhere, we don't deserve to make it, and all of a sudden they get picked for the college football playoff to come play Georgia, and the rhetoric of the fan base has completely shifted. Now it's, oh, we can beat Georgia, we've got a shot. Anyways, regardless of what the message is around this program and regardless about what people may think, whether they backed into the playoff or not, they're here nonetheless, and they've got to take on Goliath here. We're going to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs first. Plus 25.8 point differential. That's second in the nation behind Michigan. They're sixth nationally in total offense, 10th in total defense. And I want to talk about that defense first because... Georgia was known last year, obviously, for their historically dominant defense. But is this Georgia unit as good as last year? Are they the big bag Bulldogs anymore? And numbers suggest not. So you look at the statistical differences this year versus last year. 305 versus 279 yards allowed per game, total yards. Points allowed, 13.8 to 10.4. Rushing yards, 81.6 to 73.9. And pass yards, 223.9 to 199. So they're giving up quite a lot more than they did last year. That's not to say they're not an elite defense, but when you lose as much talent as they did, it's going to be hard to bounce back from. I mean, they had 15 players drafted in 2022, eight defensive players, and five first-rounders. And their current starting 11 on defense features six freshmen or sophomores, underclassmen, So it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt and step up against this Ohio State offensive attack, which is absolutely lethal apart from one game this season. So I really wanted to dive into the way this defense plays and 
their style and how they've been able to dominate their opponents en route to a 13-0 record this season. And it all starts with Georgia with their 3-4 traditional look that they usually call the mint look. And right away, when you're running a 3-4 defense at this level, it usually relies on a big physical nose tackle clogging up the middle of the formation and causing havoc in the middle of the field. And last year, that was Jordan Davis. They had that presence. They had that freak in the middle that was going to terrorize offenses. And they don't have a presence that physical, that big, that imposing this year. And I think that's why you're kind of seeing them allow more points, allow more yards on the ground, get less pressure on the quarterback. But one thing where this defense hasn't fallen short and they've maybe even improved is those two hybrid outside linebacker slots. Those two linebackers are the most athletic players on the field. You see it a lot with Jamon Dumas Johnson or Jalen Walker. They play that hybrid role, and those outside linebackers in this defense shoulder so much responsibility, but they're able to do so much and cause so much havoc. They fly around the field. A lot of the time, sometimes they'll line up as a down lineman. Sometimes they'll drop into a QB spy. Sometimes they'll play coverage. You'll even see them in some plays, especially in that LSU SEC championship game, they'll stunt across the formation on almost a delayed blitz kind of look. It is so, so intricate and so impressive to see how those outside linebackers play in this defense. Another thing I want to touch on is when they line up in this little 4-3 front, they call it a tight front, and they'll drop an end into coverage almost, I'd say 95% of the time. Like I said, that's called their tight front, and the guys highlighted in that formation are Chaz Chambliss, Robert Beal Jr. Those are the guys, like those hybrid outside linebackers, that have the athleticism and they trust to run all over the field, play different roles while staying in the same position. It is so fun to watch because no defense is doing what they're doing in that regard. So that begs the question, can they do enough to slow down Ohio State? It's obviously going to be the highest rated offense they faced all season. And one matchup I really want to highlight is can that inexperienced secondary with a lot of freshmen and sophomores, like we said earlier, slow down Ohio State's receivers? And the Georgia defense really does, with their athleticism and speed, excel at cutting off those underneath routes. I mean, whether it's their outside linebackers or when they line up in a nickel or dime package or they drop linemen, Everyone on that defense is fast enough to cover a top-tier receiver. You saw guys like Javon Bullard and Kelly Ringo a week ago against LSU really excel in man coverage, and that was when they did their best at shutting down Kayshawn Bootsy. I mean, Bootsy obviously finished with six catches, 107 yards, and a touchdown, but a lot of that was when Georgia dropped into their zone looks, their Tampa 2, their cover 2. You saw Bootsy attacking the middle of the field, attacking the safeties, sometimes motioning into the slot, getting a mismatch, and that is where he excelled, and that's where he scored that long touchdown. So, moving on to Ohio State. Ohio State quickly into Michigan territory. Stroud winds up, throws a deep ball side. All right, Ohio State. These guys are plus 25.3 in point differential. That's good enough to be third nationally. Seventh nationally in total offense, ninth nationally in total defense. And they are looking to right the wrongs of this Michigan loss. They're coming in here with nothing to lose and everything to prove. And for Ohio State... Winning this football games, and like I said, righting the wrongs of that loss, has to start with stopping the run. 
it is inexcusable to allow 252 rushing yards and expect to win a football game. Additionally, they're going to have to make adjustments. I mean, they're allowing 17.5 second half points a game in their last three games and over 200 rushing yards per game in the second half of their last three games. They have to adjust. Whatever they said in the locker room, Ryan Day and company last game wasn't good enough. They're going to have to adjust if you want to beat a good coach like Jim Harbaugh, like Kirby Smart. It's the only way. There's no way around it. Next up for Ohio State, I'm going to say the words that Ohio State fans have been saying from the beginning, and that is let CJ cook. CJ Stroud needs to be given the opportunity to take over a game, and he, he didn't get that against Michigan. In the second half, before Michigan's last two touchdown drives, C.J. Stroud was 6 of 10 for 85 yards. That's not going to get it done. C.J. Stroud needs to be throwing the ball 35, 40 times if you're going to want to win a game. It's just, you you live and die by your Heisman contender quarterback. This is why he came to Ohio State, to be clutch, to win you a big football game. So, the next thing on the docket for Ryan Day in the Buckeyes is undoubtedly the status of their backfield and how healthy their running backs are going to be. I mean... Last game, it was rough to watch. It obviously hurt them. They had um, Dallin Hayden, Chip Trainum, a converted linebacker out there. He had 14 carries for 83 yards. And then you had Mayan Williams, Xavier, Xavier Johnson, and Hayden combined for 65 yards. That rushing attack, that backfield trio or quartet, whatever it was, didn't get it done. And you're going to need a consistent run game to obviously have a, to have a chance against Georgia. You're going to need to establish the run early. You're going to need to rely on your run game in big situations and lean on guys like Henderson, like Williams, or else you've got no shot. So those are my keys for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl playoff semifinal. Now we're going to move on to the next game, Michigan versus TCU. Let's do it. Here's the run again. Alright, semifinal number two at the Fiesta Bowl. Michigan and TCU, the 2-3 game. We're going to talk about Michigan first. This team, plus 26.7 in point differential. That's the best margin in the country. 22nd nationally in total offense and second in total defense. And the thing you're seeing with Michigan at the past couple weeks, and it's the number one storyline surrounding this team this year, is the youth movement that is going on in that program right now. You've got J.J. McCarthy, the sophomore, in his first year as a starting quarterback at this level. 2,300 yards, two touchdowns, three picks. He's top 15 nationally in QBR, and he just had one of the most heroic performances in program history against Ohio State in the game. 263 yards, four total touchdowns, and no picks. Speaking of historic performances in the game, next up you've got Donovan Edwards, just a sophomore who everyone's probably panicking. Blake Corum goes down. You got to replace 1,400 yards and 18 touchdowns. Donovan Edwards, the sophomore, steps in there and does that no problem. 7.5 yards per carry this season and seven touchdowns. And obviously against the Buckeyes, his breakout game, 216 yards, 10 yards a carry, and two touchdowns. 
Elsewhere on the offensive end, you've got Colston Loveland, the true freshman tight end who scored his first two touchdowns of his career in back-to-back weeks against Ohio State and Purdue. And now moving on to the defensive side. There is nobody that should be mentioned other than Will Johnson. The true freshman corner is currently the highest graded freshman defender in college football. He's got three interceptions, two against Purdue in the Big Ten Championship. Just a stellar cover guy. He's averaging a 37 QBR against him this season. No freshman in the country is doing numbers like him. Although the true freshman nose tackle and D-tackle, Mason Graham is doing his part as well. No team in the country is doing what Michigan is doing with all these young stars. Like we said, it is an absolute youth movement in Ann Arbor. And Jim Harbaugh and company have that program set up for success for years to come with all their young stars. So I want to talk a bit more about their defense now and... They've kind of shifted styles as the season has went on. They've adopted this bend-don't-break style of defense, and it's been surprisingly effective. Although, if you just look at box scores, it wouldn't show. Against Purdue, they allowed 23 points in the game. But if you look closer at that stat line, they allowed one touchdown and five field goals. Same thing against Ohio State. 23 points allowed, two touchdowns, and three field goals. Ohio State got down to the red zone, and Purdue got down to the red zone so many times in those two games. But the Wolverine defense, this new style that they've adopted down low, in deep, backed up against the wall, has really shown through in these last two games, and that's why they've been so successful in their biggest games of the year. Let's move on to TCU. Texas brings pressure. Duggan backpedals, lofts to the end zone, wide open, Johnston, touchdown! TCU, the hypnotodes, the fighting frogs, whatever you want to call them, this is Cinderella in college football this year. Their numbers aren't all that eye-popping, but they have found ways to win, and they are 12-1 headed to their first ever college football playoff, and doing it with a first-year head coach in Sonny Dykes nonetheless, which we'll touch on momentarily so these guys plus 13.1 in points that's 13th nationally 21st nationally in total offense and 72nd in defense they're not the most balanced group but i will say they are battle tested five ranked wins in the big 12 speaks for itself and the fact that they almost knocked off a very solid kansas state team that's now playing for a sugar bowl twice in a row is insane that is so much harder than many people think and they should get every ounce of credit for hanging in that game and losing in overtime stellar game in the big 12 championship so tcu how did they get here i think people are quick to give coaches like lincoln riley at usc all the credit for what they've done with the transfer portal in their first year But Sonny Dykes has done the exact same thing, just with a lot more low-profile players. He has very much built this roster from the ground up through the transfer portal, and he is seeing the fruits of his labor pay off with a college football playoff berth in year one. These guys, in addition, are the smallest school enrollment-wise and population-wise to reach the college football playoff in its eight-year history. This is America's team, everyone's behind the frogs, and it's gonna be interesting, although they're battle-tested, to see how they react to a step up in competition against Michigan. 
personally, I can't wait for this game. I'm excited to see how it goes. And speaking of big coaches in college football, let's move on and talk about Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and how that situation is unfolding at Colorado. Let's do it. So Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, has made his way to Boulder to coach the Colorado Buffaloes, and he is wasting no time, fresh off in a 1-11 season for the Buffs. He is making changes. He is doing things his way, and that started with him firing nearly his entire coaching staff and essentially telling his whole team in his inaugural, inaugural address, so to speak, to hit the portal because he's bringing his luggage with him. He's bringing his son. He's bringing a lot of the guys from Jackson State. Obviously, Travis Hunter um, expected to commit there out of the transfer portal. Deion Sanders is doing things his way. He is unapologetically being himself, and I think this is great for the sport. You look at a guy like Dion, he's a master of the new age recruiting tactics. I mean, go ahead and open up your Twitter, your Instagram, and you'll see him tagging kids, DMing kids, trying to get them to come to Colorado by reaching out to them in a way that they're used to, a way that they have kind of grown up and grown up and grown into. And I think through these tactics, he can make Colorado a contender if he stays. Now, if he stays there is a whole other story. I know there's a lot of controversy about that, but I think he can definitely bring this team to relevance and potentially bring this team into some, back to playing competitive football if he stays there long enough. I mean, this is the character that the sport needs, and you see it a lot at Ole Miss, and I compare what he does to Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is out there. Lane Kiffin is on Instagram tagging kids, wearing cool chains, wearing the sunglasses. I think this is probably the best thing that could have happened for college football. Deion Sanders taking a big-time job, and I can't wait to see what he does with the buffs. It's going to be so interesting, obviously. Very successful at Jackson State. Very successful everywhere he's been coaching so far. Two conference titles, two undefeated seasons. I can't wait to see where the buffs go. Super excited for the season ahead and how much talent they can actually acquire in the transfer portal. Now let's talk about some bowl games. Alright, last little segment of the show here. We're going to talk about some non-New Year's Six Bowl games that you can tune into and I think you can really enjoy over these next couple weeks. First one I want to talk about is the SDCCU Holiday Bowl at Petco Park in San Diego. That's going to be Oregon against North Carolina. And before I get into these games, folks, I want to say my ratings for these games are hingent on... The, the players that play, who sits out, who doesn't, who goes ahead and declares for the draft and plays for uh, and goes to the draft. So with that little disclaimer out of the way, I think Oregon and North Carolina could be a really good game, regardless of if the quarterbacks play. Drake May should definitely play, but Bo Nix probably not going to uh, play in this one. I think these are two high-powered offenses. North Carolina hasn't shown it as of late, but they can flip the switch at any moment. High-scoring affair. Oregon should be able to match it. I'm excited to see how these teams go or how these teams play on offense. And next up, I got the Cheez-It Bowl on the 29th. Camping World Stadium, Orlando, Florida, Oklahoma at Florida State. Once again, high-scoring affair. Oklahoma really amped it up down the stretch. And Florida State is playing some really, really good football right now. 
great performances in back-to-back weeks to end the season. Their offense is hitting its stride at the right time, and I think this game could show some real fireworks. Next up, I like the Alamo Bowl at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. It's going to be Texas against Washington. Texas 8-4, Washington 10-2. Michael Penix and Quinn Ewers, two of the most talented quarterbacks in the sport. Obviously, the season that Michael Penix had was just stellar, leading Washington to their best season in a while. And Quinn Ewers trying to show at Texas that he is the guy that can bring the Longhorns back to relevance. I think that should be an amazing game. Next up, right after New Year's Day, we've got the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl in Orlando. LSU and Purdue, same case as the last game. Two great quarterbacks, two great offenses. And although Jeff Brom's not coaching Purdue, I would have said two coaches that I really like what they're doing as well. But he's left for Louisville, I believe, is uh, what the rumor is. But I still think this can prove to be an entertaining game. A lot of these, or both of these teams have a lot of talent on offense, and I think you could see some real fireworks in this one. So, with that being said, folks, this concludes the program. Once again, this was the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. You can find us online at thestudentsection.net or on Instagram at studentsectioncfb. And we will be back next Friday with a brand new episode. Always remember to subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite platforms. And once again, folks, whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers, enjoy this week of games. Have a good one, folks. Take care.